Do you know the difference between connectivity, mobility, and autonomy when it comes to today's cars? Stay tuned as three experts give us simple explanations and examples on this edition of AutoLine This Week. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine This Week. The topic of discussion is all about this new business that the automotive industry is getting into. When you hear terminology like connectivity, ride sharing, and car sharing, autonomous cars, mobility services, what's it really all mean? Well, let's get to the bottom of that today. And I've got three people on board that are gonna help explain it to us. First, Lindsey Brook. He's with Automotive Engineering Magazine, part of the Society of Automotive Engineers. Sam Abulsamid is a senior analyst with Navigant Research. And Richard Wallace is the Director of Transportation Systems Analysis at the Center for Automotive Research. I want to thank all three of you for joining us here today. Yeah. Richard, let's start out. Let's start out with this terminology that yeah. they're calling connectivity. How would you explain to people, what does this thing connectivity mean? Well, it, it can mean a number of different things in different contexts, but normally it comes down to two different things. It's either using cellular hotspots on a vehicle to stream infotainment, Pandora, radio, things like that. Uh, it could even be satellite uh, radio. But then there's a hardcore safety area that's being tested and developed for cooperative active safety vehicles talking to each other and talking to the infrastructure for safety. NHTSA's exploring having a mandate for that to keep our cars safer going forward. It hasn't happened yet, but there's a rulemaking process underway. And most of the things called connectivity fall somewhere in there with a few twists, like did I bring my phone in and sync it to the car? Did the car already have connectivity built in? So there's a few subtleties, but normally it's one of those two. Sam, how would you define it? Uh, Pretty much what uh, Richard said, um, expanding a little on the, the cellular connectivity part in the vehicle, um, that uh, it's often called telematics systems, mm -hmm. things like OnStar and Hyundai Blue Link and, and BM, uh, Mercedes-Benz command system. Uh, and what they're starting to do now is build a lot of additional services on top of that. Um, so car makers are collecting telemetry data from the cars about how people use the cars, which is helping them in their product development process. Uh, but they can also use that telemetry data to provide other kinds of services to drivers, uh, such as usage-based insurance systems, uh, where you can get discounts on, on your insurance premiums if you agree to share information about how you drive and where you drive with the insurance company. Uh, so some of that is done through uh, adapters that plug into the diagnostic port that provide their own cellular connection. Uh, but car makers are starting to do that directly as well through their telematics systems. And then the vehicle-to-vehicle, vehicle, vehicle to pedestrian, vehicle to infrastructure communications, which is based on uh, Wi-Fi type technology uh, to provide uh, messaging back and forth between the vehicles, the infrastructure, pedestrians, and so on, uh, about what's going on so you have better situational awareness in the vehicle. Lindsay, anything to add to that? Yeah, I think what Richard said, you know, a key aspect of this that we haven't seen in automotive before is the role that uh, regional governments, that uh, city governments, city planners uh, play in this whole thing. You know, vehicles were always kind of an uh, independent element. And now to have vehicle-to-infrastructure communications, even a vehicle talking to smart traffic lights, um, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to have to have a government uh, uh, role in this to create that communications. So what I'm getting from you guys is 
we've got connectivity. You can bring your phone in. You can connect with your car. You can bring in information. Uh, you can have something like OnStar that is using satellite communication, right? It's uh, actually cellular. Cellular, cellular? okay. Yeah. But, okay, then for mapping, you've got some sort of GPS, some sort of satellite mm -hmm. communication. Uh, we've got, uh, and Richard, you touched on this. Maybe explain a little bit more. Cars talking to cars. That's done with Wi-Fi, is it? And, and, and run through, because I've heard V to V, vehicle to vehicle, V to I, vehicle to infrastructure, V to X, V to whatever. Yeah, V to whatever for V to X. And Sam mentioned vehicle to pedestrian, vehicle to bicyclist, vehicle to just about anything that might be in the roadway that you, you want safety from. Here in Michigan, we probably need vehicle to deer someday. <laughs> but the, uh, the idea is using a, a tweak on the Wi-Fi standard. It's called dedicated short-range communication. It operates at 5.9 gigahertz, and it's a band of spectrum that was set aside for transportation safety about 15 years ago. There's a little bit of a fight over it right now in D.C. because you've got all these uh, Internet of Things companies look at that and say, that's some valuable real estate in the spectrum area. We could use that to talk to toasters and, you know, stereos and refrigerators and things like that. But uh, the transportation community is pretty set on keeping that spectrum, at least the large majority of it, because we do think having NHTSA come up with a vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle safety mandate could save a lot of lives. And I look at the famous crash that happened a couple months ago when Tesla finally, and it was inevitable, they finally had a fatality you know, using their autopilot uh, system. And if you look at the dynamics of that crash where the sensors failed, so a V2V system would have been a great candidate to prevent that crash. It sort of reinforced how having vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communication is going to add to the safety cocoon of the, of the future. Sam, explain it a little bit. How does V2V -V prevent cars from getting into accidents? So um, basically all, all the vehicle, all the cars would have uh, a transmitter and a receiver in them that would send, that send short messages and they're, they're predefined messages back and forth about what's going on. So if a driver is going along and all of a sudden their traction control activates because they hit a patch of ice or something, or if they've hit the brake, you know, slammed on the brakes, It'll broadcast a message out to other cars that are in the area within about a thousand meters or so or less, uh, depending on where you are, um, saying, you know, okay, be alert that there's a slippery road ahead. And so it's designed for real-time communications about what's happening right now, you know, immediately down the road from you. Or if a pedestrian were to walk out and they had a, a, f a smartphone that had uh, vehicle to pedestrian communications, um, it could alert drivers that, hey, there's a pedestrian that's about to step out into the road, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it all happens very quickly. Um, and initially the plan is the drivers will get alerts about what's happening. But longer term, that could be added into some of the driver assist systems. So if a car, three cars down the road from you, hits, slams on the brakes, your car could uh, also uh, hit the brakes and, and, and uh, slow down before you hit the car in front of you. It could also be used for things like platooning, uh, where you, know, you could have a string of vehicles on the road, on the highway, that are operating very close behind each other, much closer than you could safely do with the people in control. And uh, because they're basically drafting like you are in, in NASCAR, uh, you can actually get some significant savings in fuel economy while doing it safely without 
you know, without having to rely on people's reaction times. Mm -hmm. So, Lindsay, this, this vehicle to infrastructure or vehicle to whatever, you're saying government's got to play a role. Why? Well, I think just uh, communication standards. Uh, what we're seeing in some early uh, pilot uh, situations, uh, Delphi and Singapore and some others where, even Ann Arbor, where uh, sections of the city have been mapped uh, and sensors have been embedded into the city, either in the traffic lights or overhead across, uh, across the road and so forth, that, you know, Somebody's got to pay for this stuff, and somebody's got to, you know, there has to be the other side of it, the, the auto industry. One thing I wanted to add to what uh, these guys were saying is that, uh, you know, ideally we're looking at in the future for all vehicles to have kind of the same level of communications. Uh, and, and right now we're, we're looking at what about a 12, 12, average 12 years old of a typical vehicle in the, in the global car park, at least North American car park. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, quote, dumbest vehicles out there don't have, you know, a lot of these sensor technologies. So I think there's going to be a challenge getting from where we are today with the latest vehicles that we drive as auto writers and people in the industry, and so we know the technology. But, you know, you look at the most advanced car today and maybe the oldest that's on the street, and that vehicle can't communicate. So maybe there's an aftermarket role that can be played uh, for the mobile device that can bring in, that, that you become the sensor array for your vehicle because you're bringing it into the car. Yeah. It, yeah, and, and maybe you can get the insurance company to help pay for bringing yeah, it in exactly, because it'll exactly make the right. car safe. Exactly right. This could well be. There's a lot of talk of aftermarket yeah. solutions, and you know, Denso formed a whole wing of the company uh, just in the last year or so to to look at these aftermarket opportunities. And is that something that just becomes a chip in your cell phone, and you just make sure you have your phone with you when you get into the car? Or is it something? else maybe you want a little display for the warnings that Sam mentioned so maybe a little step up above so that that area is, is blossoming and we've seen a lot of opportunity there. there there was an incident last I think it was last winter on the Ohio Turnpike and I know this because uh, uh, the, one of the tow truck drivers I had a problem and, and so this guy towed my vehicle and he told me that he was involved with this there was a whiteout middle of the winter. And so this big cloud of basically snow and, and so forth that a tractor trailer drives into and the guy stops. He stops in the middle of this whiteout. First car that hits him goes sideways, creates a wall. You know, any number of people were killed and I think it took him two or three days to clear this out. And it made me think, and we'll probably get to this in the discussion, but the, the, the limits of the capabilities of all the sensors is where would V to V what role would that have played in a whiteout situation? You know, in other words, the first, you know, the tractor trailer should have had uh, technologies to communicate with everybody following him that whiteout, put on your brakes or whatever, then those cars would have reacted. And the first guy to hit him, the same thing. Well, that didn't happen. So wh where are we today, 2016? Where do we need to go with all of this so that we have a, a fleet of smart vehicles? Yeah, yeah V2V -V is an important extra layer on the sensing system, for, especially looking forward to autonomous vehicles. As Richard mentioned, you know, the, the Tesla crash, but also earlier this year, the first Google car crash in, uh, in Mountain View, mm -hmm. where the, the autonomous vehicle pulled out and ran into the side of a, a local transit bus uh, because it assumed that the bus was going to stop. Well, one of the things you can do with vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communications is you can, you can signal intent, uh, something that you know, humans, you know, we do when, when we come up to a four-way stop, you know, we can give nonverbal signals to each other 
uh, about what we're going to do and you know, so, you know signal to somebody, go ahead, you, know, you, you go first. Um, autonomous cars can't do that, but if they have vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communications, they can say, you know, the bus could have signaled to the, to the Google car that, hey, I'm not slowing down, I'm, I'm going, and so the Google car could have stopped and waited instead of running into the side of it. So there's, there's a lot of additional layers of uh, robustness that you can add to an autonomous system with those communications. Okay, enough about connectivity for the moment. I think we got into that pretty deep. Let's go to ride sharing and car sharing. And, and Richard, maybe you can give us a, a brief description. What's the difference between ride sharing and car sharing? Well, I think the one that most people are familiar with is probably ride hailing, which is kind of the Uber, Lyft business model where you, you need a ride and, and you use a smartphone app and you know, relatively shortly, because they've got fleets of people out there volunteer to be drivers, and they get paid for it, and they'll come and pick you up. It's sort of akin to a taxi. It's very akin to a taxi service. Well, I think of ride car sharing. Let's do car sharing for a second. That is more like the Zipcar, the Maven. That's uh, you don't own it, but you drive it, as opposed to the Uber and Lyft, where somebody drives you. And then ride sharing, there's not a whole lot of that in the, in the U.S. It's com more common in Europe, blah, blah, cars, probably the biggest one of those. I remember back when I first started college some years ago, there was a board. You could say, I need to go from Chicago to Pittsburgh for the coming weekend. And you put your name up there, and somebody else was going, and one of you had a car. Handshake and you do it. This is sort of the smartphone app version of that. And we haven't had much of that in the U.S. yet, but it, it, it's a little more common in, in Europe. Sam, we're starting to see this segment get sliced up where you can uh -huh. have other services too. Yeah, right? So give us a list of some of them. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a wide variety of type, you know, you can um, have. Uh, Different variations of the service, you know, as, you met, as Richard mentioned, you know, ride sharing. Uh, actually, just in San Francisco uh, a week or so ago, Google announced that uh, they're going to launch a program that they've actually been piloting in Israel with Waze, uh, which they own, um, and it's basically, you know, uh, a more sophisticated version of carpooling, you know, on-the-fly on carpooling. You know, where if you're using the Waze app, you can uh, signal, hey, I need a, I'm going here and I need a ride. And if somebody else is using Waze and going the same direction, they can pick you up and it gives you a way to uh, share the cost of gas and, and so on. But yeah, there's. Use the HOV lane, which is probably yeah, the biggest a, yeah, thing out there. That's, a, that's another really good point. Yeah, you know, if, if you're going by yourself and now, hey, I can pick somebody else. Then you can you know use that carpool lane. So there's there's a lot of different variations on that. Um, most of what we see is definitely falls within the ride hailing, which is more the um, more sophisticated taxi services. Uh, and going forward, as we get into autonomous vehicles, that's what we're going to see a lot more of. The car sharing stuff is, could could also be described as short-term rentals. You know, instead of daily rentals like you're used to when you fl travel somewhere, pick up a car at the airport. It's more short-term. You need a car for an hour or two to mm -hmm. go do some shopping or, or you know wherever it might be, and then you drop the car off uh, at, at some location within the city. Lindsay, what do you think? I mean, uh, people will not hitchhike anymore mm. because they think it's too, too dangerous. You know, nobody will pick up a hitchhiker. Nobody hitchhikes because they know they're not going to get picked up. Why is having an app going to change all that, or is it? 
Well, I, I think a lot of this is, and we all see the projections of um, city growth worldwide, and the cost of owning a car in the city, uh, maintaining a car, insuring a car, et cetera, and the fact that kind of a new generation of kids isn't really car savvy and, and, and into cars as a utility tool as, as we've been. And if cars are available and you can carry a device to summon the car, this all makes a lot of sense. And as we, t we talked earlier, you know, the, the uh, electrification overlay is really a big part of this, too, in terms of uh, a, uh, a fully automated or autonomous car. Basically, you hit the app, and in five minutes, it comes to your house. And it's, you know, it's the classic uh, futuristic pod that I think is always a, a picture that's always painted. You know, a little white pod that <laughs> shows up, and uh, uh, it, it's going to pick you up. And it's also programmed to pick someone else up, so it doesn't have to deadhead back to wherever it came from. So it's that's why you do it. It's on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that, you know, you're using this from your phone. Your phone knows where you are at all times. Right. So there, I think there might be a little bit of extra sense of safety, you know, because if something happens, you know, people would be able to track you by your phone and know exactly what your location is unless, you know, your battery dies. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it's probably also one of the reasons besides, you know, if you're Uber or you're Lyft and you one of your major business expenses is paying those drivers so I can eliminate the driver, I can increase my profits, but if I eliminate the driver, maybe I also have a little bit of an impact on that sense of security. There's not a stranger in, in, the, in the driver's seat that I may, might not feel comfortable with, kind of like the hitchhiking uh, scenario. Um, they do some vetting now. And, and it's worked out reasonably well, but maybe you attract more people if I don't even have to deal with that slight risk that, 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 that people might see. And if any emergency happens along the way, as Sam says, I'm just going to get on my phone and dial 911 from the road and say something's gone wrong, and then they'll probably send out another car to you know, f complete the journey for me. And it's interesting because Google's had this, or Uber's had this uh, uh, campaign to kind of uh, have the public get to know them and the fact that, you know, our drivers are such a human resource and we love our drivers and please come work for us, et cetera. But the end game really is autonomy. Right. Well, yeah. let's, well let's get to that. Because we, we've talked several, several categories now. We talked all about connectivity. We just talked about car sharing and ride sharing. Sam, let's start with you and autonomy. It, the definition's all over the map. Uh, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has its own definition. The Society of Automotive Engineers has a very similar but different one. What the heck do we mean when we say autonomy? Um, well, I think what most people, what most regular people think of when they think autonomy is a car that, uh, like the Johnny Cabs in, in, the, uh, total, in the original Total Recall movie, you get in, you, you go for, you know, it, you tell it where you want to go and it, it drives you off and, and drops you off. Um, so that's a, a fully autonomous vehicle that you have no direct control over the thing. And then at the opposite extreme, you have what, you know, what are called level zero, which is, you know, what... Model part, T, right. Yeah, what, well, even uh, most of the cars that are on the road today, uh, you know, where, where there is no automation at all. And then in between that, you have this, the full autonomy is level four or five, depending on whether you're looking at the NHTSA scale or the, the SAE scale. But um, generally, a, a level four or five car can... You tell it where you want to go, and it will take care of all the steps in between to get you there. And then driver assist systems are in between, and that's what we have today. Okay, Lindsay, run us through quick. 
thumbnail? What, what are the, the five levels as the SAE defines? Them? Well, an SAE does have a standard, a J3016 standard that... Uh, now you just confused everybody. <laughs> <laughs> they can Google that, though. Yeah, 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 you can Google that. Uh, but level zero, as Sam said, is fully manual driving. The, the human being, the driver, is in, in full control. Up to level five, which would be that pod that would show up at your house. The, the, the demarcation line is, is level three, and SAE defines it as a conditional level. It's kind of where we are today with some of the technologies. So that Tesla are, autopilot, you would say, is a level three? Yeah, because it, when, interve when, when, when some yeah, sort of intervention is, is called upon, you know, and Tesla says that the steering wheel will let you know, you know, you know there'll be some sort of haptic or audible uh, in the car that uh, if you're falling asleep or something happens and it's unexpected, the driver is meant to take control. So that's the threshold, level three, between that and four and five, which are which, which are you know automate more automated and then fully autonomous. Okay, so Richard, it, it's real interesting. Uh, two companies, Google and Ford, have said level three scares the heck out of us. I we, think it's a non-viable product. And, and so, why do you want to buy a car? I want to say, John, good news. This car can drive itself. Except when it can't, so <laughs> always be ready to take over. And like, no, give me a car that I drive, I'm willing to pay for that, I'll enjoy it, it's a nice car. Or give me the Johnny Cab, yeah. <laughs> the, the level, level five. Four or level five. Yeah. So I, I tend to think it's nice for classification system, but I, I, I tend to agree with them, it's probably a non-viable product. Who wants that? You're, Standing by, standing by. Sam, I got to agree with this. You know, autopilot from Tesla, yeah. others have got it, similar system, Mercedes, Volvo, just to name two. The car can steer itself, but I'm told I got to keep my hands on the steering wheel. What, what's the use of having a system that can drive itself, but I still got to drive it? Well, steer, for the car to be able to steer itself, it needs to be able to see things like lane markings and it. Um, and know where the edge of the road is and where other vehicles are around it. Mm -hmm. And right now, the sensing systems that we have on the cars, the cameras um, and the other sensors that we have on the car are not, we can't count on them. We can't, they're not reliable enough to be able to do that under all conditions. You know, when it snows or if it rains, a lot of times uh, the, the sensors can't see those at the edges of the road. But that's today's sensors, right? Don't yeah. you think that this is going to mature in the next five to 10 years? Oh, absolutely, it's gonna, it's gonna get better. Um, but, you know, there's still, there's still quite a long way to go uh, before we get there. I mean, you know, just the, the vision sensors for one thing, um, I mean, just like we can't see the edge of the road, uh, why, sh why would we expect a camera to be able to, able to see the edge of the road if it's covered? Or if you're on a, a rural road where there are no markings. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of scenarios where the systems just don't work uh, right now. So there's, there's still a lot of work to be done. Mm -hmm. Okay, we've gone through connectivity, car sharing and ride sharing. We just talked a bit about autonomy. The umbrella for this, Lindsay, seems to be what they call mobility services. Some Ford, for example, think that this is a brave new world. This is a huge new opportunity for the automotive industry. How do you see it? Well, I, I, I see, I, I question what's in this for the automaker at the end of the day. Uh, we had talked earlier about, you know, possibly some of these companies being absorbed into the traditional auto industry at some time in the future, because when, when an Uber goes from hired drivers in their own cars to having to purchase these vehicles, it's going to really change their business model. Um, and so, you know, what, what does the automaker get out of other than, 
it's fleet sales today that would go out to rental companies, et cetera, other than just a lot of fleet sales out there. I, I still haven't understood that. Really. Okay, Richard, anything? What's in it for the OEMs, the automakers, or is there anything in it for them? I, I, I think Lindsay's right about those are some of the things that are in it for them, but we just completed a fairly significant analysis of this space, and we have a white paper up on the on the car uh, website if people want to check it out. But our analysis shows the future with mobility as a service still involves a lot of cars, because cars become the underpinning of ride hailing, of ride sharing, of car sharing, of, uh, there, there's some other models out there that are sort of like hybrids. You can think of it as kind of a, kind of like a bus route, but a bus route that's a little bit flexible. So instead of just staying on a main street and I gotta find my way to the main street and the headways may be long and I find it not very convenient, it could deviate and pick you up right outside your own house and then come back because it knows where everybody is that wants to take this particular bus because you're all on your smartphone app. So there are some different models out there. If we use cars more intensively than we do today, then we go from 11.5 years for the average age of a light vehicle, might become three or four if we're going to use them more than 20 uh, use them 20 hours a day, let's say. Right now, typically, we use them less than two. We drive to work, park, drive home, and maybe one soccer match for the kids or something like that. So we do see a more intensive use, higher turnover as a result. I think another part is just um, broadening the range of, of, of services the auto companies are in, because I don't think any of us kind of know what the winning services are going to be in 10, 15 years. Ford alone has something like 25 experiments going on globally in mega cities. It's, how about this business model? How about that business model? And they're trying to figure out which, which ones are going to carry the day. Okay, Sam, we're down to the very last minute. I need a quick answer. Is this going to be a big new opportunity for the car companies, this yeah, mobility it, services? It, it, it's absolutely a big new opportunity. You know, they're, they're looking forward at, at a time when um, there's potentially, uh, you've got so much traffic and congestion that customers, people don't want to own their vehicles and drive them, uh, but they still need to get around. Uh, so the, providing, this, providing that service, providing autonomous vehicles as a service is, is a huge opportunity for new revenue streams for automakers. Real good. Whew. <laughs> Boy, that's a lot to digest. There's a lot of terminology there. There's a lot of different technologies coming in. As you said, Richard, nobody really knows where this is all going, not with any dead certainty. They're all experimenting with it. But I want to thank the three of you for coming in and shedding a little bit of light on it, if only to shed the light on the fact that this is very complex and a lot of terminology. So, Lindsey Brook with SAE, Sam Abulsamid with Navigant Research, Richard Wallace with the Center for Automotive Research. Thank you. Thank you for your time today. I want to thank all of you, too, for having tuned in.